Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. Surviving San Diego typhoon season. Everybody staying, staying dry. I'm hoping that we're not going to have to call in some boats to take us home from church. Uh, really excited about this weekend with World Mandate West. I want to encourage you and even ask you to come and join us. You saw in your uh, bulletin sign-up sheet. And once again, let me just tell you, this is the one time where our whole church body gets to worship under one roof. So if for some reason you're saying, I can't afford it. Please call our office. We have some partial scholarships that we'd love to, to give you. And believe God is going to move us forward in the areas of worship, in the areas of equipping. I'm really excited about these seminars on what, uh, how God can use business, use the arts, use these different spheres of society for us families. My wife and I are going to be talking about engaging in mission as a family. So it should be a wonderful time. And then... Next Sunday is an, a wonderful opportunity to bring someone with you. Jim Yost will be preaching on Sunday. And Jim has one of the craziest stories of being a, a, a wild hippie and getting just transformed for Jesus. His haircut didn't get transformed. But, um, <laughs> but he got transformed and has seen the power of God like few others. He's one of the only Californians I know that's actually seen someone raised from the dead. So just unbelievable stories. He'll be coming in uh, tomorrow and staying with my family, so I'm stoked about that. And uh, it's going to be an incredible weekend together. Um, and this weekend, boy, that was, um, uh, it was crazy, that the storm, wasn't it? I mean, wow. I got stuck in the airport. I had a flight leaving at 3. It got stuck until 7 p.m. And uh, it was getting video sent to me from my staff. We, ha we have this uh, video of a taxi half submerged on University Boulevard. It looked like we were in Louisiana in a hurricane or something. And you hear the, the, the ladies on my staff going like, should we go out and help the taxi? Like, that's so sweet. What were they going to do? But um, <laughs> all people staff here to save you. Uh, so my wife sends me a picture our trampoline in the backyard gets picked up by the wind, becomes like this bullet projectile, is thrown through our wooden fence, takes out five feet of fencing, misses our, our uh, propane tank by this much and lands in a tree in the front yard. And, and I'm about to get on a plane. I'm like, ah, uh, <laughs> is this wise? And... Um, I, I am uh, sitting, though, next to this 28-year-old medical student, and she's, she's uh, watching this intriguing video, 
And so I finally asked her, what, what is this? And she's explaining to me about different health conditions and how it's a video to learn about the medicines used. And so I, I share with her about my heart condition, which inevitably leads to me telling her about how I got supernaturally healed. And she's really interested. And I finally asked, so have you heard any stories like this? And she goes, well, I believe everything has a scientific or biological explanation. And I went, <laughs> all right. I said, well, let me tell you some more stories. So I start talking her through all of these stories, medically verified healings from cancer deaf ears being opened or blind eyes being opened and, and I'm sharing this with her and she, she looks at me and she goes, I just got to tell you, I'm a really hard case for, for you. And I said, oh man, I, I, said, I looked at her and said, well, God's given me a big assignment today, hadn't he? And we were having this great, I mean, we had, we had nowhere to go for hours, you know, so we're, we're four hours, we're we're, we're in this conversation, and I start talking to her about words of knowledge, which is, uh, you know, divine words that God has spoken to you about other people that you couldn't know without his intervention. And she's like, well, the power of the mind is amazing things. And, you know, maybe you could just use this. And it was, it was fascinating. And then finally, after a couple hours, she looks at me and she goes, you know, to be honest, I'm really jealous of people that have religious faith. She said, to think that there's someone else out there, like, that if I really, and then she used an expletive, if I blank up my life, that, uh, that someone could actually help me and take care of me, she goes, that must bring so much peace and comfort. And about that time, we got called for our airplane, and, and I said, you know, there is a God, and he loves you so much. She says the strangest thing to me. She goes, I promise you I'm going to read the Bible. Like, <laughs> wow. And I said, don't, don't just read the Bible. I said, call out to Jesus. He's real. He wants to be your best friend. And then we had to, to board the plane, and, you know, I'm, I'm walking on to the flight and courage just going, man, God, that was just a great setup. And I sit down, and all of a sudden I become so grieved. I just start thinking, God, it's, it's so heartbreaking that Danielle, this wonderful, brilliant 28-year-old girl, doesn't have a friendship with you like I do. And those words just kept going over and over in my mind. You know, I'm jealous of people who have this, that kind of peace, that kind of comfort. And I just start praying for her that she would meet Jesus as a, a friend. And, and that, that's what we're talking about this morning as we open the book of John. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15 because Jesus is introducing this topic of friendship. It's absolutely mind-boggling to me that the creator of the world, that the savior of mankind wants to be our friend. He wants to be our friend. As you turn to the book of John, let me just give you some, some biblical insight for those of you that are new to the Bible and even some of you that are wanting to become more students of God's word. We're in this series called With Jesus. This is uh, the third week of the series. If you have missed it, you can get the sermons on our app. But 
I'm talking through stories from the Gospels. Gospel means good news. There's four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why would God have the same story of Jesus told four times? Well, there's a couple of different reasons. First of all, this is the credibility of different witnesses. So these different witnesses tell the same story, but they tell them from different angles, and I believe that's another reason for four Gospels. The first three are known as the Synoptic Gospels. They share similar content, similar order, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Although they share many of the same stories, they share them with a different flavor. So, for example, Matthew was a Jew. He was a tax collector. He is is very determined to explain to his Jewish audience that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish prophecies, that he is the Messiah. And he gives a very elaborate genealogy in the beginning to show how that Jesus is comes from that Jewish family and from Abraham. Now, Mark, which would be the next gospel, is different. Mark is more like a, a script of a television show. I mean, it's, it's happening super fast. It's, it's descriptive. It's to the point. And then Luke would be different because Luke is actually written by a Gentile, a non-Jew, a doctor. And so his gospel is different, and he's really trying to, sh- to show that Jesus is the Son of Man. And so we have that really uh, detailed event uh, account of him from his birth, and we studied that a lot at Christmas. Now, John, where we're camping out today, is different than all four of them. John was Jesus' best friend. It's my favorite gospel. They're all wonderful. But for me, my desire is to be best friends with Jesus. That's my desire for you in this church. And so I love John because John paints the emotions of Jesus. And he gives these detailed interactions that Jesus has with people and these long dialogues. And that's where we find ourselves in John 15 today. We pick up in this discourse that's in the upper room, this dialogue that Jesus is having with his friends, his disciples. His disciples are his friends. And so in the upper room, Jesus is in a family room. He's, he's reclining with his closest friends right before he's going to go to the cross. So he's having dinner with his homies, right? And, and it just debunks any thought you have of Jesus being the stuffy distant, aloof religious leader. There were some really bad Jesus movies made when I was a kid. Okay, the, the Jesus movies now being made, for the most part, are, are a lot better. But when I was a kid, they'd come on these TV specials, right? And Jesus would be this, like, stiff, very emotionless. He'd walk around like this. And he always talked in a stuffy British accent, right? I love Brits, Hannah. Okay, so all Brits aren't stuffy. Uh, but he'd be like, feed my lambs, you know, and say, mm, yes, you know, that, that's just not the Jesus we see when you dive into the Bible. Like in, in John 15, Jesus is lounging and his disciple, John, says he's actually leaning against him. Like that's so unstuffy <laughs> to have like your, your bro like leaning against you, you know. So he's just debunking this, this distant, this, this, this uh, very, um, you know, unrelatable Jesus. No, Jesus is, is in our lives and in it with us moment by moment. And so we're going to begin here with 
John 15, verse 1. And it says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Today we're going to talk about abiding. Abiding. And Jesus starts with this phrase, I am the true vine. And Jesus could have used so many different analogies for who he was. And think about this. He goes, hey guys, I'm a plant. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a plant. And you're like, what? Jesus. And, and, and this is yet another way where... I meet people all the time that, that, that will tell me, because I'm always in discussion with people wherever I go, and I'll meet people that say, well, I'm not a religious type. And I think what they mean is I'm not like this super spiritual, otherworldly person. And I love that Jesus just steps right into that person and goes, hey, I'm a, I'm a plant. Like, you see plants like you walked on some grass today. I'm a plant, right? Can we bring out our plant today, please? Um, here we go. Jesus says, I'm a vine. Now, Mark went and to a nursery today or, or uh, yesterday and got me a vine. And, and, and the, the disciples, the Jews, they would have been so used to vines, right? And, and the great thing for us as Southern Californians, we're used to vines. You, you just drive up the 15, up to Temecula, and boom, you're in wine country. So this is, this is something we see. Is, is vines. And so Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. Now here's the other interesting thing for the Jews. Because remember, all these disciples with him were Jews. They understood the Old Testament, which is the first part of this book. And over and over again, God would be speaking of Israel as a vine. He said, I planted a vine or I brought a vine out of Egypt. Here is what I find that many people think. They think, well, I am okay because of my religion. You know, they say, well, I, I was born a Catholic, right? My, my grandmother's a Catholic, or, um, you know, my family's a Christian. I'm born in America, right? I mean, we're all Christians, right? And, and here's what Jesus says. He says, I'm the true vine. So it's not our religion that connects us to God. It's not that we belong to some religion. It's because we belong to Jesus. He says, I am this true vine. Right? And you, you think about a vine, that it's, it's bringing life, and it's, it's bringing growth, and, and it's going to bear fruit. And Jesus is saying, that's who I am. I am the true vine. And then he goes on to say this. And my father is the vine dresser. So perhaps when you were driving up to Temecula or you were driving out the eight and you saw some of these, these vineyards, perhaps you saw someone walking among the vine. And, and once again, Jesus is wanting us to understand how intimately involved in our lives that Father God is. Like he's debunking that thought that God is just this divine clockmaker that put some gears in place and then threw it down there and is just up, just going, huh, I hope it works out for them. No, that he's walking among the vine. And what is a, a vine dresser doing? You know, he's tending to it and he's touching it. And his desire is to make this thing grow and to flourish. Like he's saying, my father is the vine dresser. 
right? That's who my father is. Now watch this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Several meanings for this. Okay, you see this branch right here? It so happened that this vine we bought has a dead branch. And so Jesus is saying, what God does is he comes and he takes that branch away. What I notice is that there's aspects of our life that are dead. There's aspects that are bringing death into the branch. Uh, There's addictions and there's faulty thought patterns and there's destructive actions that I'm hurting myself and I'm hurting others. And Jesus says, my, my father's the vine dresser and he'll actually take these things away and he'll, he'll do away with them. And, and, and that, you know, that there's another sad thought about this is that not everyone puts their faith in Jesus. Some people choose to reject him. They say, I'm going to do my own thing. And so what happens if a, if a branch rejected the vine, then that branch gets no life into it. And so the father's saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to, I'm going to take it away. And later on, it'll say it's actually cast into the fire and burn. What is this? It's, it's speaking of hell. Like there's only two destinations that people go upon the end of their life. It's heaven to spend eternity with Jesus, that one who loves us, the lover of our souls, to to be with him. And then we think, well, how can it be fair to, to, to send someone to hell? Well, if that person rejects God, why would God say, now you have to come and spend the rest of, you didn't want to spend 30 years with me, why would you want to spend 30,000? So, so it says he takes those away. Now, watch this next part. And, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. We moved on to this, to this house and this property and it had been foreclosed and there was some fruit trees in the corner of the property that had been planted but because the house had been under foreclosure for two years the trees were in distress they were starting to die and moving on to the property I'm like this is so cool I have my own fruit trees but I immediately am thinking they're gonna die this is not good so one of the first things I did when I moved on the property is I dug a trench and I I put the 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 watering system in there to the trees and all of a sudden they started growing and I'm so excited. But then they, they come to, to fruit bearing season and they have these, these tiny fruit. And so I did some research. Why is it? Well, the trees look beautiful. But I found out that though they were beautiful because they were so full, they weren't supposed to be that full. They needed to be pruned. So I, I watched this video and it's talking about like pruning a half of the branches out and it was so painful for me to go in and take my pretty peach tree and be like you know and just cutting out half of it and I'm like oh this is so rough and so like put a v in the middle of it I'm like oh it was such a pretty peach tree but the peach tree was bearing no fruit so I actually climbed up into the middle of a peach tree and I'm like you know what next season we had wonderful peaches Say la. Think, think about, think about that. 
Uh, one of the things that's been hardest for me in my Christian life is pruning. Is that, is that trimming down of my life so that I can bear new fruit. We, we began the year talking about getting a word from the Lord, getting vision from God, and writing down what he's speaking, and writing down your goals, and putting that into your calendar, and believing for God to do great things. And there's been numerous years where I've done that. I've gotten vision. I've gotten a word from the Lord. I, I start working on a plan, and I am expecting things to just take off. And the first thing I notice is this, there's this fire on my life, and I'm being so convicted. And I was thinking I was going to run, but I'm spending all my time on my knees repenting of, of different things in my life, like pride and judgment. And, and I'm going, God, I thought this was going to be an awesome season, but I'm just like just dealing with me. And, ugh. and then things, you know, sometimes they start falling apart. I'm expecting you to run, and all of a sudden there's relational conflict that I'm working through or, you know, I'm, I'm going to lead my life group and I'm expecting it to just explode and all these people to be coming in and instead we're having problems and we seem to be going backwards. You know what that is? It's pruning. That's pruning. You know, you might be getting pruned if you're noticing a lot of fire on your character. You might be pruning if you're noticing friction in your relationships that you're having to work through. You might be noticing pruning if, if things that you're working on, instead of seeming to grow, they seem to be cut back. And you know why God does that? He does that for your health. He does that because he wants things to be healthy. Right? A, a, a big, bushy tree might look alive, but it bears very little fruit. So God's cutting it back, and you're like, ah, being cut, ow, I hate being pruned. Okay? I haven't gotten to that place in my life where, where I'm being pruned. I'm like, yes, bring it on. <laughs> right? I just, yes. Right? I mean, but the, the, the result, we get pruned so that in the next season we can be more fruitful. Oh, it's so painful when it happens in our church. But I've seen that. I'm expecting things to just, oh, they're just going to be catapulted forward and all of a sudden we're being pruned. But you know what? The next season... It's always more fruitful. It's more health. It's deeper relationship. It's more pure love. It's more supernatural power. Those that he loves, he prunes. Don't despise pruning. This is uh, interesting, verse 3. You're like, where did this come from? He goes, you're already clean because the word I've spoken to you, you're like, God, I thought we were talking about vines. Now we're talking about laundry. Like, I don't, I don't get it, Jesus. You're so Jesus-like, you know? And um, you say things, and I'm like, what? Uh, you see, th this whole topic of um, I, I, I cut off everything that doesn't bear fruit in me, we start thinking, people can start thinking as believers, like, wow, if I'm not bearing fruit, like, I better bear fruit or God's going to send me to hell, right? I mean, it's like, whoa. And so he puts verse 3 in there. No, listen, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Let me tell you, uh, on the flight coming back, so I, I flew out. The reason I flew out was to go to my father's retirement party. He worked at the same business for 49 and a half years. 
so proud of my dad for doing that. Um, I wasn't, I was trying to be there right when he got off work and go to dinner. My flight was super late, and you know, I told you that, but I'm coming back yesterday, so it was less than a 24-hour trip, and I'm sitting next to this, uh, this, this burly guy with tattoos and skulls on his arms, and, and uh, he's telling me what he, he does, and then he ex- looks at me, and he goes, uh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I, I work for a church, and, um, and he's like, oh, that's cool, and he starts, <laughs> no, this, this, was, this was fascinating. He goes, my, my brother uh, is a pastor of a biker church. And I'm like, wow. And, and I said, well, how did that happen? Because this guy was, you know, he, he, I, I didn't think he was a, a Christian. And he's like, well, our, our dad died, and he was so bitter, and we were just so hurting. And he's like, um, I, I was able to forgive the person who ran over my dad in this biking accident. But, you know, I, I went into, he was talking about him being into drugs and him being a drug dealer. He's like, my brother, though, couldn't forgive. And he was, he was so angry and so bitter. And he goes, and I guess he just had this, like, God moment. And now he, like, became a pastor. And he's like, does this biker church. And, um, <laughs> and I'm like, cool. Um, and, and he goes, you know, and, and, and a year ago, I wanted to take my life. But he's like, you know, I'm so, it's so cool for my brother. And he's found his joy. And, and he's like, and you know what? I, I'm starting to kind of make my peace with God. Like, you know, I'm not like there yet, but I'm starting to make my peace. And I was like, peace with God. Can I show you a diagram about how to have peace with God? And, um, and he's like, yeah. And so I, I draw out the bridge diagram, right, where draw man on one side, God on the other, and how we're separated because of our sin. And then how Jesus comes and is the bridge. He died on the cross to take our sin and how we can, through Jesus, cross over to God. So I said, hey, would you tell me where you are today? And so he draws kind of in the middle that he's not with, with, with God yet. And I said, so why don't you ask Jesus to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior? And he goes, man, Here's why I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a hypocrite. He goes, because I I don't want to, I feel like people receive Jesus, but then they don't change, and then they don't go and do good. And he's like, I'm afraid that I'll receive Jesus, but then I won't change and I won't do good. I'm like, well, that's a very honorable thing to say. But while he's saying this, this mental picture comes into my mind, because I'm always trying to abide Say, Lord, what are you saying? And I, this picture in my mind comes of a glove. And I said, you know, hey, Ryan, take for a moment just a glove. I said, a glove can't do anything on its own. It's, it's useless until a hand comes in and fills that glove. And then the glove can pick up tools and a glove can do work. I said, you're actually thinking about it wrong. When you receive Jesus, God goes from being up here to actually being in here. He fills you like a glove, and he's the one who changes you. And he's the one who works through you. He went, wow. said, so why wouldn't you let him come in? It's not about you changing yourself. It's about him coming in. He goes, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) So we, we pray right on the plane, and he gives his life to Jesus. So many of us think, like, it's, it's about me changing myself. No, it's about Jesus coming in and taking over from the inside out. 
Now, I, I see this. Let's just take it to the next step. I see this with baptism, right? We're going to have a baptism service in a couple weeks. The, Jesus said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. People get saved, but then they're like, no, I don't want to get baptized because I, I, I'm not, they, they're like, I'm not clean enough. I, I haven't got serious enough. I don't feel like I'm ready. And, and, and the Bible's like, no, that's not it at all. When you're baptized, when you're going underwater, it's not like, oh, now you're worthy of the water, right? No, that, that's not it. When you're going under that water, it symbolizes that you actually aren't worthy, and that you need Jesus to wash your sins away. Like, you realize, I'm not good enough. Like, I'll never be good enough. So I'm going under the water to show that Jesus is covering my sin. Like, the old man is dying, not because I made something happen. And so Jesus is saying, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. You are saved, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done for you. You're washed clean, not because you make yourself clean, but because he washes you clean. You're saved by grace through faith, not by your own works, or a man could boast. It's the gift of God. So if you're in here this morning and you've given your life to Jesus, don't freak out like, oh my gosh, if I don't do enough good deeds, I'm going to be sent to hell. That's not true. You're saved by grace through faith. Right? You're saved, and then you let Jesus come and take over, and then good works start happening in and through you. Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins. You can't forgive your own sins. Verse 4. Now, this is the uh, heart of this message we come to now. I love this. I, I love this. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, right? This branch over here can't, this branch, poor branch, will never bear fruit. This branch is doomed, right? It can't bear fruit by itself. But this one can. This one can. Why? As a branch can't bear fruit by itself, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's so many Christians out there going like, I just want to be a better Christian. Make me a better Christian. I'm going to read more books. I'm going to read more Christian love romances. I'm going to, whatever to do. I'm going to, you know, wear more t-shirts and put on more bumper stickers, and then I'll be more Christian. And Jesus is like, no, just, just abide in me, please. Enough bumper stickers. Just abide in me. And no offense if you have a bumper sticker. That's great, but it's not going to make you bear fruit. Right? Abide in me. What does abide mean? Here's the Greek of abide. It's minnow. Okay, there, there's th- three different references. These references are to place, to time, and to a state or condition. Look at this. Um, in, in, in regards to a place, to sojourn, meaning like you are going with, you continually are going with Jesus. You don't just come to church to meet Jesus. Come, be with him, be with the people of God. He says, don't forsake the giving up the the meeting together because it encourages you, teaches you, and trains you. But Jesus is always moving. So you're always moving with him. Okay, I love this. To be present or to be held. What does it mean to abide? It means to be continually held by Jesus. It's what Danielle was saying in that waiting room to get on that plane. Gosh, it would be so comforting to have someone 
to, to, to have that peace. That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to hold you moment by moment in reference to time, to continue to be, to endure. I love this. In reference to a state or condition, to remain as one. Now this is what we notice as a child with our relationships. We notice, unfortunately, that we get tired of our friends. Like I'll never forget this friend I had in third grade. I loved being with him. We loved to sit and draw sketches of Garfield. We loved it. Okay, that was our deal, right? We loved it. And I was heartbroken when he moved away. He moved away, and so our moms talked on the phone and said, she said, I'm going to send him to hang out with you at your house for a week. I was elated that he was coming. My friend, my Garfield friend, was coming to hang out with me for a week. Now, the problem was, by the time that happened, it was a year later, and I was out of the Garfield stage. Garfield was no longer my deal. Football was my deal. The problem was, my friend was still into Garfield. So he came, we had a week together, and I realized real quick, he just wants to sit and draw Garfield, he wants to play with Legos, this is not working for me. And I remember my poor mother having to sit down with him and be like, um, you know, people change, and it's okay for you to spend some time, and you can sit inside and draw Garfield, Robert will go outside. You know, and it was so sad. Because I, we, we did, you know, and then later on, you know, then you, you go up to hang out with a group of friends and then they kind of snub you and you're like, wait, you don't want to be with me? Like, what's, you know, what's the deal? We just notice in relationships that people don't always want to be with us, that you kind of like eventually sometimes get tired of people. And yet Jesus is saying, remain as one with me. I want to abide with you. There are people in this room that your parents would say, hey, I'm tired of you. Get out of my sight. Now, I'm so sorry if that's happened to you, but can I just tell you, Jesus will never say that. Ah, we can be so quirky and so weird and so annoying, and yet Jesus is saying, no, no, I just want to keep hanging. You like Garfield? Cool. You're football? Cool. Whatever. You do, I just want, just be with me. Do it with me. Do you know that the Lord and master and creator of the universe never gets tired of you? Like you might have been rejected by people. You might have been betrayed by ones that you wanted their acceptance. But Jesus will never reject you. He'll never betray you. He always wants to be with you. He's the one person who never gets tired of you. You wake up all funky breath and snotty nose. He's still like, come here. Come here. He's not saying, go clean yourself up and then come to me. No, I'll be with you when you're sick. I'll be with you when you're whiny. I'll be with you when you have your little stomach bug. Right? I, I will be, he is saying, abide with me. Be with me. And, and so you go, okay, how do we abide? How do we abide? We abide by doing the same thing with Jesus as we do with our phones. Okay? Have you ever noticed that you feel totally naked without your phone? Like you leave your home and you're like, oh, my phone! Oh my God, you start like panicking. You're like, oh, my phone! <laughs> the, the other day I was having dinner with John's family and my phone disappeared and I was like, my life is over. Like how... <laughs> 
John has a white cover on his phone. He took my phone. He had one phone in one pocket, one in the other. <laughs> Not cool. But I was freaking out. I'm like, how am I going to live? What am I going to do tomorrow? You know, what if I, like, what if I can't drive home 20 minutes? Like, something happens. Like, we used to drive without phones, but now I can't imagine my car. I, could it work without a phone in it? I don't know. How, how do you learn to abide? Right? When, have you ever noticed the second a, a conversation stalls out, you just go like. <laughs> I, I, I noticed how addicted we are to phones when, I, when I, 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 we moved to San Diego and I took a class at State. And I was taking Spanish. And I remember walking out of the class. And the second we walked out, you know, I, I turned to talk to someone. And I look and everyone goes, whoop, brrr. And I'm going, oh, what, what has happened to our world? Like the second that things go silent, we pick up our phone. And, and, and that's, that's most of us, the next generation, wow. I, I, uh, my daughter was going with some dear friends and, and uh, her friends, so a couple friend of mine, was taking the, uh, their daughter and some of our daughters to Six Flags. Okay, like an hour and a half drive, maybe a little more. And I had given my daughter a phone uh, because now we're having to leave her at different extracurricular activities and I want her to be safe and be able to call me. But I, I've been very diligent to not put data on it. Why? Okay, because I know how much people are getting destroyed and defiled and I want to be able to monitor. I totally trust her, but I don't trust the world. Hello? Okay, so, but I gave her an old iPhone and this phone kind of went out. And so she's about to go to Six Flags, and she's like, Dad, I have to have a new phone because my phone's not working. And I was like, no, you don't. Like, you're going with some of my friends. If you need to call me, just talk to the parents. <laughs> and, and she's like, no, Dad, that's not why I need it. And I was like, well, then just use your friend's phone. She's like, no, Dad, we have an hour and 45-minute drive. I have to have a phone. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, but you're going with your friends. And she's like, I know, but dad, we'll all be on our phones. And at that moment, you know, I became like that father or grandfather that, you know, you judge your whole life. I was like, back in my day, we used to talk to each other. You know, <laughs> she's like, dad, dad, th th this is not your day. <laughs> and things have changed. And everyone, and I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, sweetheart. Like, we're not going to get you a new phone before. I mean, and it was a big deal in my house, like. And I'm like, it's okay. Like, the parents have a phone. Your friends have a phone. You're going to be okay. Like, make conversation. Like, you're. I, uh, I was sent a, uh, a, a, an interview, kind of like a TED Talk. Are we able to do that? I, you've got to see this. Um, that's been watched like 58 million times. Uh, talking about uh, millennials and media devices. So watch this. Technology. We know that engagement with social media and our cell phones releases a chemical called dopamine. That's why when you get a text, it feels good, right? So, you know, we've all had it where you're feeling a little bit down or feeling a bit lonely, and so you send out 10 texts to 10 friends, you know, hi, 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 because <laughs> it feels good when you get a response, right? right? It's why we count the likes. It's why we go back 10 times to see if, and if it's going, if our, my Instagram is growing slower, I would, I, I, did I do something wrong? Do they not like me anymore, right? The, the trauma for young kids to be unfriended, right? 
Because we know when you get it, you get a hit of dopamine, which feels good. It's why we like it. It's why we keep going back to it. Dopamine is the exact same chemical that makes us feel good when we smoke, when we drink, and when we gamble. In other words, it's highly, highly addictive, right? We have age restrictions on smoking, gambling, and uh, alcohol, and we have no age restrictions on social media and cell phones, which is the equivalent of opening up the liquor cabinet and saying to our teenagers, hey, by the way, this adolescence thing, if it gets you down... <laughs> but that's basically what's happening. That's basically what's happening, right? That's basically what happened. You have an entire generation that has access to an addictive, numbing chemical called dopamine through social media and cell phones as they're going through the high stress of adolescence. Why is this important? Almost every alcoholic discovered alcohol when they were teenagers. When we're very, very young, the only approval we need is the approval of our parents. And as we go through adolescence, we make this transition where we now need the approval of our peers. Very frustrating for our parents, very important for us. It allows us to acculturate outside of our immediate families into the broader tribe, right? It's a highly, highly stressful and anxious period of our lives, and we're supposed to learn to rely on our friends. Some people, quite by accident, discover alcohol and numbing effects of dopamine to help them cope with the stresses and anxieties of adolescence. Unfortunately, that becomes hardwired in their brains. And for the rest of their lives, when they suffer significant stress, they will not turn to a person. They will turn to the bottle. Social stress, financial stress, career stress. That's pretty much the primary reasons why an alcoholic drinks, right? What's happening is because we're allowing unfettered access to these dopamine-producing devices and media, Basically, it's becoming hardwired, and what we're seeing is as they grow older, they, too many kids don't know how to form deep, meaningful relationships. Their words, not mine. They will admit that many of their friendships are superficial. They will admit that their friends, that they don't count on their friends, they don't rely on their friends, they have fun with their friends, but they also know that their friends will cancel on them if something better comes along. Deep, meaningful relationships are not there because they never practice the skill set, and worse, they don't have the coping mechanisms to deal with stress. So when significant stress starts to show up in their lives, they're not turning to a person. They're turning to a device. They're turning to social media. They're turning to these things which offer temporary relief. We know, the science is clear, we know that people who spend more time on Facebook suffer higher rates of depression than people who spend less time on Facebook. Right? These things... Wow. Ooh. This is not a message against social media, against phones, uh, but what I am wanting to show is, first of all, there's a reason why there's a greater desperate need for friendship unless people have true friends. But I'm also trying to show you that we're having a, a generation that is addicted to being on their phones continually. And I actually want to say that that could work in our favor because this addictive nature in humans, people like never going to before are going to understand what it means to be inextricably connected to something. So if we can just move the connection from always going to this to always going to this, we're going to have some lit up, transformed people. You following me? What I mean is, this generation knows how to abide. 
You walk out of class, boom, you pull out your phone. You get bored, you pull out your phone. You need an answer to something, you pull out your phone. You want to see what your friends are doing, you pull out your phone. You always pull out your phone. What if you instead pull up your relationship with Jesus? You're feeling lonely, you start abiding. You start calling out to Jesus. Instead of feeling lonely, and what we do is we pull out our phone and send 10 texts, hi, 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 hi. Instead, we, we pull up, Jesus, 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 I need you. Okay? Instead of, of saying, I need something, so I'm going to stream something, you start saying, no, I, what I need is your presence. Come and fill me with your presence. You walk from class to class, or you're walking from office to office, or mom, you're walking from the changing table to the diaper hamper, and you start just saying, Lord Jesus, fill me with your presence. You're washing dishes. Jesus, I want to remain with you. Some question comes up, instead of saying, I'm going to Google that, you say, I'm going to ask Jesus about that. Lord Jesus, what should I do? Instead of just always calling a friend, no, I'm going to call on Jesus. I think this generation knows how to abide, how to be addicted to something. The one thing that you can be addicted to and it not ruin your life is Jesus. That will actually make you better. You get addicted to Jesus, use your addicted, addictive traits. Like, who do you think put addictive traits in us? Why are humans so easily addicted? It's because God put this addictive need to continue to draw us back to him. So how can you constantly be with Jesus by taking that addiction that goes to something else, which most of us, it's our phone and Facebook and Instagram and whatever, and saying, no, I'm going to first tune in to Jesus, and I'm going to say his name over and over and over again, or I'm going to pray in my heavenly language under my breath, or I'm going to experience, I'm going to call down his presence, and I'm going to meditate on his word. And watch this. Let's finish this out. There's some really powerful byproducts. It says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Look at this. I don't know if you can see this. Dink. All these little grapes. These grapes, like they didn't try to become grapes. They just were, this branch was a part of a vine. And so what happened? A healthy branch just bears fruit. And so one of the byproducts is fruit. You don't get fruit by going, I just, I'm going to be kind. Kindness, 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 kindness. And then someone cuts you off and you're like, ah, right? No, you become kind by staying connected with Jesus and someone cuts you off and the life of Jesus flows and you go, ah, bless you, right? That's, you, that's how kindness flows out of us. It goes on to say, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the, uh, the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my word abides and you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Fruit number two is answered prayer. Those who abide see answered prayers. Have you ever noticed there's Christians that are always having answered prayers? And then there's other people that you're like, man, I don't think that ever happens. I want to just tell you the people that see prayers answered all the time are the ones that abide because abiding is constant prayer and God answers prayer. And he also transforms our mind to actually know what to even ask for. So abiders are ones that always have answered prayers. There's people that drive us crazy because we're like, they always have answered prayers. But you'd find out there because they're always abiding with Jesus. 
It says this, if you abide in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear my much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. The third fruit of abiding is love. What if you could live your life from a position of already being loved instead of trying to get love? So much of people's life, they're just trying to get more and more and more love, and they do things trying to get love. What if you live from a position of I'm already loved? When you abide, you're just consistently and continually receiving his love. And it says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy might be in you and your joy may be complete. Your joy might be full. That's the fourth byproduct is you live a life of joy. So many of us think if my circumstances just changed, then I'd have joy. I meet people with the most amazing circumstances. They have it all. And their life is very bitter and empty. And I meet people in very bad circumstances that shine with the joy of God. They overflow. Why? Because they abide. Because he is the vine that pushes joy into the branches. You need more joy? Abide in Jesus. Let me read this last verse to finish. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. Why don't we stand up? Jesus wants to be your friend today. If you don't know him, I want to invite you today to come forward. If I can have my prayer team just move forward right now. If you don't know Jesus... If you came in today and you're searching for him, I want you to come down. I want to encourage you to bring a friend and just come to one of my friends down here. They're going to lead you in a prayer to meet Jesus. Jesus wants to touch you today. He wants to heal bodies. I don't want to just talk about healing, but we want to, to practice it. He gives power. If you need healing today, I want to invite you to come down. Or if you're just saying, you know what, this has been, I, I just need a fresh connection with Jesus. I want to just encourage you, come down, pray with one of my friends, and let's start believing for Jesus to be flowing in your life now more and more. Whatever you need, you just start making your way. If you need to bring a friend, bring a friend, but you just start making your way. Come to one of these friends down here as we sing this last song for about one minute more, and then we'll be dismissed.